Meanwhile, buy a dustbin in Greenhill Street. Ah, Moriarty, this life of luxury, we've never had it so good. Another fillet of fish bone, my dear Count. Just wait until the goon show opens at the Bear Pit Theatre. All those half-eaten bags of sweets. <laughs> the podcast which has been campaigning tirelessly for the Panorama theme tune to be replaced with You Gotta Go Owl. Now, wouldn't that be pleasing? My guest today is an actor who has appeared in front of audiences, breathing new life into The Goon Show, uh, recreating some classic episodes as part of the Fred Theatre Company and Birmingham Comedy Festival. Uh, He's also been involved in the recreation of, uh, among other things, an early Larry Stevens radio sitcom for Tony Hancock. It's Richard Usher. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. It's a real joy to talk about anything to do with the goons and comedy in general. Naturally, some of the listeners will have heard your name and thought, okay, Richard Usher, uh, actor given to comic performances on stage, must be the uh, Richard Usher who became famous for his uh, appearances at Astley's Amphitheatre. Uh, and 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 they'll also be thinking, you know, for a man born in 1785, he sounds incredibly chipper. <laughs> but yes, I take it's... it, I take it, you're not that Richard Usher. No, if if you you mean uh, the 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 classic um, British clown who I think um, at one point um, sailed a, a bathtub down the Thames, yeah, pulled by some swans or geese or something, which is incredibly goonish when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, just to kick off, tell me a little bit about yourself, Richard. Well, um, you've you've sort of billed me as a as an actor. Um, I I kind of bill myself under a balloon heading of media creative because I've, I wear so many different hats generally in the in as a, as a freelancer. But uh, professionally, I spent a best part of twenty years with with the BBC um, working in radio, um, and then they paid me to leave um, in twenty twelve. So um, I thought well, I'd be foolish to pass up this opportunity. So uh, I, I left and then uh, became a freelance voiceover artist. And uh, that's opened up a whole world of opportunities and, and different avenues to, to head down. And uh, yeah, and eventually the, the acting part of it, I guess, started with um, the, the performance of audio books, which I've always done anyway for, for most of my life. But uh, the the professional sort of, Paid work as an audio uh, audiobook narrator is is kind of the first steps into into acting, and and then uh, I got the opportunity to audition for the very first first British theatrical tour of the uh, of the Goon Show, and that sort of kicked it all off really. So I have a lot to thank the Goon Show for. So how did that come about? Uh, one morning I was looking through um, Facebook and uh, also um, having a look at the the Arts Council sort of jobs boards and things like that so you, you, as a freelancer you search for any opportunities that might be out there and um I just you know and, and somebody else brought it to my attention as well kind of at the same time 
worlds collided and I spotted this advert for wanted um, actors for for goon show performance I, I just did, did a double take could hardly believe what I was reading and um, thought right I'm, I'm going to audition so uh, went went for it and um, I was very lucky to to land an audition. So, so I'm guessing you must have before this point you must have known the goons been into the goons practiced doing the voices I think like everyone um, that that ever listens to a goon show, there's a point at which you start doing messing around doing the voices and things. But um, my my first sort of encounter with the goon show um, would probably go back to the early 80s. Um, I my a friend, my friend Paul uh, and I used to mess around with um, an old tape deck with um, double tape recording things on it. So um, we used to make up our own little comedy dramas and um, our own little comedy s- sketches and things like that. Um, and that then progressed because I was a bit of a Doctor Who fan. So I was making kind of mini fan Doctor Who episodes um, for tapes and things. And eventually all of this sort of coalesced and became um, a little comedy sketch show that I, I started piecing together. Uh, and then I met another dear friend, uh, Mark, who's um, Mark Earby, who is in, in the latter um, goon show performances with me on stage and uh, he and I kind of got to know each other at school at senior school and we were probably about 13 and um, we just realized we both had the same mad sense of humor so we started getting together and doing little comedy sketch things together and um, I, I created something I called the larynx show because in my biology lessons I'd been learning about the larynx and I thought oh, it's the voice that's that's good. We do silly voices. Brilliant. So um, we just made all these mad things. And then I think at one point, my my dad took me to the local town library and we got out some sound effects uh, LPs. And I basically started to sort of be more creative with the way I was putting these mad sketches together. Um, and I had things like a, a race between one of my teachers at school, was, I think was a, he, he drove a Fiat and so I had this mad idea of having a, a Fiat Panda uh, and a train um, on Blackpool Tower um, having a race. And I don't know where that came from, but we just sort of made these weird things up. Um, we did little interview sketches. We had just spoofs of programmes and stuff like that. Up to this point, had you been influenced by any particular comedies to, to have come up with this kind of these kind of ideas? I not not especially. I mean, I think probably if if my my strongest memory would probably be of um, Michael Bentine's Potty Time. That was probably the first mm-hmm. in, instance of something funny that that, that did mad things. Um, I really don't recall any listening to any radio comedy until really it was my dad that said that this stuff I was editing in my bedroom he said that sounds like a show I used to listen to and I was your age and I said what was that and he said the, the goon show right so he, right. he took me to the light back to the library um and he said this is this is the goon show and got the LP out and it was the very best of the goons which I think when when we had our little communication about coming on to this podcast you you said electronically amazing. processed for stereo effect <laughs> Who is that? This is the Bow Street Police Station speaking. Speaking! What a clever police station. You'll get a punch up the con team. Right up the con. Here the con. Withhold your two octave conk punch. 
<laughs> While I unfold a tale of a certain story. I'll take everything down, Jim. Don't do that, you'll catch cold. Oh. <laughs> and it spoils it slightly, but it was my first uh, ever experience of of the Goon Show, and that was it. I was I was utterly hooked. And then, my uh, unbeknownst to me, my friend Mark was also a fan of the Goon Show in a big way, and he had. Um, I think he had some off off air recordings of um, the string robberies, mm-hmm. um, the curse of Frankenstein, and ill met by Goonlight. And um, he also had a copy of a book called No More Curried Eggs for Me. Oh yeah, yes. Which is a it was just a brilliant little collection of of comedy sketches from different areas of, of British comedy, I guess. Um, it's interesting that those three shows that you mentioned, the um, uh, string robberies. Uh, Ill Met by Goonlight and Curse of Frankenstein. It's interesting that they those are some of the lesser known goon shows. Because yes. very often, um, and, and also the LP that you first heard had hmm. two shows that aren't that well known. But but very often people's first exposure to the goon show is via, you know, the BBC releases. Yes. And so it will be the dreaded batter pudding hurler, or it will be Man Who Never Was, the, the very well-known goon shows that today people hold up as being the best. It's interesting yes. that you were exposed to some lesser known goon shows, which are still good in their own, in their own way. Yeah. Mark and I, I think I'm just trying to remember which episode it was. That's in no more current eggs. me. I think it might be dishonored again. Mm-hmm. If my memory serves me correctly. And I think we started messing around performing uh, in, in school when we were supposed to be doing maths lessons, whatever we, we sat there doing silly voices and going through these sketches uh, yeah, and then I think my friend, uh, another friend of our mutual friend, Andy, who was into the uh, Not the Nine O'Clock News, The Young Ones, and I'm, I'm sorry I read that again. He was a big fan of that for some reason. And again, that was um, something I'd never really heard before. And that kind of branched off into stuff. I think most months I was going to the library and getting out at least one Goon Show LP, maybe a Hancock, uh, maybe an I'm sorry I'll read that again or some whatever was available and and trying to um immerse myself in this this amazing genre of comedy you know uh-huh. okay so you saw this this advert for people who wanted to perform the goon show yes yeah, so uh it, it was um i emailed uh fred theater um delightful guy called robert f ball um, who sadly passed away uh, last year um but he was the director and creative director of of fred theater which he'd helped to set up and um was very much his his baby and we uh we communicated and um he said uh, could you come for an audition so i spent a few days looking at options because they wanted you to take an audition piece that uh allowed them to see what you could do in terms of like changing your character voices and um things like that so um it was very much a a sit down and scratch the head moment. Do you go for a goon show, uh, which would be the obvious choice, um, but I thought that might be a little bit too much. Or do you go for Monty Python, say, or something from, I'm sorry, I read the game. The the choices you have are are massive, so you can pick and choose, but it had to be something that that would show an ability to change character voices as rapidly as possible on on stage. Mm I didn't really go into it with any preconceived notions of wanting to have a particular role. Obviously, Sellers was the one that I really desperately wanted to go because he was a, he was a huge hero anyway. But that would have been probably un, un, bubbling away there. But I would have been 
more than happy to be involved in any in any capacity. So uh, I came down to choosing the comedy piece and I went for um, a Michael Benteen sketch um, because of uh, a great love I have for Michael Benteen's writing. And um, I chose The Most Haunted House in Britain, which is, is an amazing piece of writing and it's a great sketch. And it's from his book, Best of Benteen. So I thought, well, that, that's the one. And yeah, I kind of arrived there, I was introduced to uh, Dave Freak, the um, producer, and the man behind the Birmingham Comedy Festival and, and, and Robert and the, uh, the guy who was running um, the old joint stock theatre, which was uh, where we were due to perform. And uh, I kind of got up on this little makeshift stage and, um, and just went for it uh, with this, this sketch. And I think I fluffed a couple of lines here and there. But yeah, I managed to get through it. And um, I was looking at their faces, trying to judge <laughs> whether I'd done any good or not. And I went downstairs afterwards and um, I met a pal for a drink and he said, how did it go? And I said, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm off the lines a little bit here and there. And, and I just thought, you know, I, I was really kind of panicking in my brain. And then a few days later, I got a call from um, Robert, Robert F. Ball um, to say, that they wanted to offer me the the Peter Sellers role. Yeah, what what strikes me as really interesting is that they didn't ask you to actually perform any goon show characters as part of the audition. No, no, I, I um, and 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 strangely, um, we we had, I mean, of all the people that were were um, were auditioning that day, um, Dave did tell me that quite a few people had had, had rocked up with you know, things on tablets and even stuff on their phones. And um, I don't know whether anyone else did uh, a, a goon show as their um, audition piece, but I think um, a, what, the guy who played Milligan in our first first tour, um, Rob Coletta, um, he was very much a, a Python fan and um, sort of fan of comedy more modern. I think he was the youngest of our, our team, but he, he was, he'd never really heard the goon show, but he was so mad keen to do it because of the python connection and and yeah. just generally their impact on british comedy so he was the one that knew the knew the least i i think giving them uh, an opportunity to, to to hear what you can do with um material other than the goon show is quite a good way of judging whether you then might be able to take on these roles but yeah it is a bit of, of an oddity that you you're not displaying necessarily how good you would be at doing Eccles or how mm -hmm. good you would be as, as Greenslade or what have you. Yeah. So the, the, the Benteen sketch that you performed. Yes. You'd, you'd read that sketch or you'd listened to it as well. You'd read it and listened to the, because it was on, it was, I presume it was part of his radio two sketch show. Yes. It was. Um, yeah. Part of his, um, the best of the best Benteen. of Benteen. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it was in, in the best of Benteen book which uh, he is he, one of my most treasured possessions because it has his, his signature in there um, from, from when I met him. And it just felt right. There's the, a colonel character. There's obviously the, the sort of general commentator role, Michael Benteen interviewing uh, Colonel Hector Plasm uh, and, and Dr. Luke Warm. So there's just <laughs> lots of fantastic stuff in there. So you've got, already got a couple of good characters, but I did about, I mean, the sketch, it's quite a long sketch. Benteen was quite um, adept at writing mm. very slow burn mm. sketches that allowed characters to sort of breathe a bit. So there's, there's plenty of really good dialogue in there. So you, you can almost sort of 
you know, I, I went for a kind of, um, um, you know, Britain is famous throughout the world for its legends and myths, many of them based on historical fact. And then you get on to introducing um, the characters and you say, and, um, acknowledged experts on the supernatural. And then this Colonel character, which uh, <laughs> almost go for a blood knock sort yes. of sound. Uh, uh, paranormal. And, and then, I, I beg your pardon, Colonel, uh, but paranormal, as, as in parachute, uh, not supernormal, as in the uh, 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 supercala, fragilistic, expialidocious, <laughs> that sort of right. idea. So you kind yeah. of, it just shows you can switch. Vocal, and, and, de vocal dexterity. Yes, that's yes. exactly the phrase. Yes. Funny enough, I was watching, uh, as part of research, I've been watching some potty times. Ah, cool. uh, I'm not convinced I never saw them as a child. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I'm not convinced I never yes. saw I don't recall no. seeing them as a child, but there's something, something when I'm watching them that mm. make it, making me think I may have seen them when I was very little. And yes. kind of, it's kind of squirreled it away in, in the back of my mind somewhere, but they're very charming and, yes. and very well put together. And the voices, because ben, Benteen, and by the way, I love his Radio 2 show, opposed to Benteen. Yes. I think that's yeah, great. It's great. Uh, yeah. But his voice, he's got a very distinctive He's got a, what would you describe it as? Almost like a scratchy voice or, or, a, or a wheezy voice, Ben Team. Yes. Isn't he? And yeah, wheezy would be a very good description for it. Yeah. Yeah. So each of his characters, they've all got, yeah, they'll, they'll all have different voices, but they'll all, they'll all have that common sort of slightly wheezy sound to them. And, yes. And I was thinking, because obviously we only have a very, very scant evidence of his time in the Goon Show in terms of recordings. But it mm. makes makes you think if he'd stayed the course, if he if he'd carried on with them, makes you wonder how you know what characters he might have brought in you know into the show yeah. uh, into series five, six, seven, eight, nine, and how they would have engaged with the other characters. And because um, uh, he does, he he often does. I found with Potty Time, he does a character which sounds suspiciously like uh, Eccles. Yes, uh, same in Bum the Bumbleys, which was his first yes. children's program in the fifties. That because right. uh, I think it's Bum Bumbley one or Bumbley two is is kind of ho ho ho. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, I I I think that's a fairly. It, I think they all will have done it at some point on on the shows. I think they all played Eccles to a le greater or lesser degree. Um, Sellers certainly. Uh, yeah, and and Seacom, I know he he did quite a few. Um, stabs at sort of Eccles voices. He he did a very very good Eccles. The the very first concert live concert I ever went to, and I got ribbed mercilessly for this. Uh, most, most 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 people would probably go to a pop concert or something like that. I went to see Harry Seacom. <laughs> Just such was my goon mania at the time. Um, but he did this whole routine. He's, um, he says uh, something about uh, yes, I, I, I met this chap and he was wearing a Cambridge tie. And I said. Uh, you're wearing a Cambridge tie. He said, yup, yup, I'm wearing a Cambridge tie. I said, where'd you get it? Um, um, I went to Cambridge. What did you do at Cambridge? I bought a tie. That's lifted yeah. straight from the Greenslade story. Yes, but it got a huge, as you'd expect, huge laugh. But he was, it was a really, really good Eccles. And there's a, an interview Mike, Michael Benteen did um, on a religious programme called When I Get to Heaven, and they're talking about the goons and the birth of the goons. And he's saying about the, the Eccles voice was, was Ralph Wright's voice from Goofy. And that's what they all based it on. Mm. And then he does a, oh, how the bell in the old tower rings. And he does the sort of um, a cod version of Eccles. And it, it's, it's pretty 
pretty perfect, you know. Um, so they, I think they must have all had a had a stab at that one. Oh, how the bell in the old towering. Milligan often said that Eccles was based on Goofy. Yes. But then there's there's a re- recording of him talking about at one point saying that it was based on a character from I, I'm guessing some American radio show called Duffy's Tavern. Oh right! Wow. Um, but with regards to Benteen, funny enough, <laughs> you and I started communicating with each other via Twitter. You very yes. kindly sent me a message saying nice things about the first couple of podcasts. That, Which are great. That yeah. I did. And, but one thing that you pulled me up on, and quite rightly, quite remember how you phrased it, but you basically pulled me up on my anti-Benteen sentiments. I, I did kind of dismiss him based on the, as I said before, the only evidence we have of him on The Goon Show is really uh, a couple of very, very poor audio recordings of yes. uh, Series 2 shows. And also, obviously, his, his role in um, Down Among the Z-Men. Mm, yeah, which isn't which again. It's not a, it's a it's not a great film. I I yeah. I'm I'm always a little bit disappointed with Dan Among the Zedmen, Other than it's it's a, a microcosm of of moments of of sort of variety history. So you've got the the opportunity to see Sellers doing what what, what might have been one of his stage acts. Um, you've got the opportunity to see uh, Benteen doing the the chairback routine, which is you know legendary in in the world of comedy, but yeah, as a, as a as a film, it doesn't really hold t- together that well. I mean, I love Benteen's some of Benteen's lines in that. The, the I think he gets some of the best lines. I, he's definitely the most confident of of all of the actors in Dan Among the Zedmen. I think. I think he's his performance is quite polished. Um, it, he's he's got a, a a genuine character. I mean, Harry Seacombe's almost there, but it's not Neddy Seagoon. It, but it's. It's a character he's playing, but I think for for just pure character creation, I I think he's Benteen's um, uh, Professor Pureheart is is bang on the money and and kind of ready to go. Whereas the rest of them all seem a little bit prototype, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so you know, I I said I said some things. I didn't say anything horrible. I don't think, but I, oh, I was no. a little a little bit dismissive about Benteen. Um, and you're right because with only that to go on. I, I hold that up as mitigation. I loved his Radio Two sketch show. I've, yes, I've seen um, episodes of It's a Square World. Obviously, I've you know, been watching Potty Time. So, really interesting guy. Oh, Just poorly, poorly served by what's what's left of his his goon show history. Um, so, getting back to the the, the Fred Theatre Company. So you've you've yes. you've received this great news that you've been given the part of Sellers. Mm-hmm. So I guess your first job then is to is to do the voices, practice the voices, get get the voices honed. Well, I I mean I, it was kind of the job I'd been practicing for all my life, more or less. You know, ever since I got to know about the Goon Show, that was that was kind of it. Um, I was always uh, messing around doing the voices or cod versions of them, so it didn't seem too fanciful. But it it, it was a nice opportunity to go back to the two goon shows that we we were chosen to do um which was the phantom head shaver of brighton and the canal and to listen again to those and then realize that there were certain characters that sellers was performing which i um had never come into my <laughs> repertoire before so um i had a good listen to those and tried to get as close as possible to mimicking them as best i could 
So from the Phantom Head Shaver, you'd have had guessing yeah. Mrs. Prunella Dirt. Right, yes. And, no, and from the canal flower dew. I'm a daisy. Father's a plum. That's why we stoned him. Yes, yes, flower dew. That was a really difficult one, pitch wise, but mm. managed it, I think. Uh, the the uh, oh, judge, is it Judge Schnorrer as well in, yes. in, the, in <laughs> Phantom Head Shaver? Nailed in uh, Nugent Dirt, the jury of three just men and 29 criminals. <laughs> Find you guilty of hiding your bald nut from your wife until after you'd married her. It's a lie. Silence. Silence. Thank you. Oh, my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's those sort of... And then I think he pops up again in uh, briefly in the canal, I think. Possibly. Uh, he's, 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 he's also very uh, prominent in the case of the missing CD plates uh, a yes. year, year or so later. We, we started out... Um, so that the original lineup was myself, uh, Rob Coletta, taking on Spike's role, um, chap called Barnaby Eaton-Jones, who was um, cast as Seacombe, uh, and uh, Phil Hemming, who was uh, Greenslade and Valentine Dial. And also, I think he he depth for mate as well. It just proved too difficult to switch from me to, you know, the, in the way the characters are running, too confusing, I think, for people um, in, in the audience. So Phil... Uh, had to go at mate, which he did brilliantly. Um, then sadly, um, uh, Barnaby had to pull out of the production, so we had uh, Jim Rennie join us, whose version of Seacombe is is it's really really good, and it felt so, you know, it just felt right, really. It's um, and when you start doing those voices on uh, certainly in rehearsal and on stage, it, it just starts to coalesce and make sense. You know, you you, you start with your yeah, Henry Crunz and yeah, dear min min, and it's you know, and even um, Mrs. Prunella Dirt. I mean, we had we had to be very careful with um, with Ellington. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, mm. that was that was a, tr a tricky tricky proposition because it's we didn't have the musical breaks in the first um, the first iteration. We had a jazz band, but they weren't you know they weren't mm. performing uh, mm. the good show music. Um, in fact, our first review was of the jazz band rather than the show, particularly. Right. <laughs> Whoever they sent didn't know what the Goon Show was, and but they yeah. they, they sort of gave great positive, re you know, review of the <laughs> of the jazz band that was with us, um, who were very good. I guess playing the sellers part, you you would have quite a lot of the heavy lifting, um, goes without saying. But yes. I would imagine doing Seacombe's voice yeah. must be quite an undertaking. For anybody, um, yes, to get that pitch right and to because it's such a distinctive voice. Yes, I mean Jim Rennie is a brilliant actor. That he's his reach for that voice, he gets it. Um, it's it's not quite the bel canto tenor that 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 um, Seacombe was. It's you know it, it's it's one of those voices that just has such musicality about it to start with. Mm, yeah, and and Jim manages to grab that that musicality and grab that sort of of the of the voice and, and, and go with it and he's, he's 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 he was brilliant from the outset and it just made it so when he you know when he cries when he yells blue bottle in this sort of very seekum sort of way um or you know even i imagine the positioning when i saw him on stage doing it you know he, he's kind of 
taking a slight step back and, and looking off as he's yes. delivering the line. And then, oh, had you come in, my captain? Had my captain come in? <laughs> <laughs> and it's much easier to respond because, to in my head, it sounded like we were doing the, the show. It, yeah, weird. It was really strange. It was like a time standstill moment, and you you're there. Did it give you? Um, did it give give you a real sort of chill? Oh yeah, yeah. Certainly the first first show. The weird thing was we had to wait until the audience had all gone in, taken their seats, and we had the jazz band going up. And um, we're standing in the corridor uh, at the door waiting to go in, and 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 Phil's standing there, a, a slight tremor in his hand with the script, um, and he's he's kind of composing himself, he's, you know, uh, actor's nerves, I guess. Uh, Rob was kind of doing some exercises and warming up and, and Jim was kind of using, so I'm going to use the nervous energy. I'm going to use the nervous energy. I'm standing there thinking, I'm not feeling this. What's, what's wrong. I, and, and it started to panic me slightly that I, I wasn't feeling what, what these professionally trained actors were feeling. And um, I was thinking, am I, am I going to blow this? And, <laughs> um, and, and it, it, but it didn't set my nerves going. It just, you know, and then we had a, quite again quite a goonish moment where one of the ushers came down the corridor and said oh could you could you go in and take your seats please and we said sorry and she said well, could, could you go and take your seats we'll, we'll wait we, we need to get the cast in and we just told her we, we are the cast <laughs> so, and she sort of oh <laughs> but it got us laughing and we went straight on and you know as soon as we heard that then um, this is the bbc from from phil it was we we're, were off and running and and then Seacombs, you know sort of first lines and things like that they're, they're just great and we I mean there was a, a discussion through rehearsals as to whether we would be doing the sound effects as um you know spot effects like they used to do with the, the sound stage and things like that or would, whether we would be using um sound effects played in I think from a conversation I'd had with with Robert the director he'd said something about oh well we'll we'll, we'll find these sound effects from various discs and we'll we'll play them in and I thought to myself, mm, that's that's not really going to work. The, the, the Goon Show's sound effects are not the kind of thing you can just get off the peg. They're mm. they're very specific. Yeah. So um, I was probably a little bit naughty, but I went home that weekend and um, I basically sat around, <laughs> sat down and sound designed all of the effects. Um, I just went in rather timidly on the Monday of the rehearsals and said, um, "Oh, Robert, um, you may not want to use these, but I, I thought." I'd give this a go because it would save you a bit of time and effort. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's kind of how it fell out. So we, we were using some nice, nicely sound designed sound effects, which just sounded, I, I hope fairly authentic. So that whole opening sequence with the, um, with the sort of mad midnight crescendos, the, the Edison bell sound effects, mm. the bagpipes and all yep. of that. Create that with, you know, from a sound effects is next to impossible. So, um, yeah, recreating it. So again, that felt kind of right as well because you were, you know, you were there and the the audience were just, yeah, audience were with us all the way, as Seekham would say. <laughs> managed to managed to throw them off at the station. Um, 
Well, yeah. yeah the, what was the audience? What was the sort of the age range of the audience? Well, I'm guessing it was slightly older. It was. It was actually quite mixed. Um, I was surprised there were quite a, quite a few young people in there. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was a general mix. I think even for the the, the second iteration of the show, the, the the next two that we toured with, um, the the audiences were of a of a mixed age range. I mean, people like my mum came to see the show because obviously because parents do that sort of thing. But she yeah. came to see it um, with one of my first performances, and she she um, she didn't really get the goon show. I mean, she. My my dad and I used to sit around laughing our heads off as, at Tommy Cooper. As soon as Tommy Cooper walked on screen, yes, was, oh, you you immediately that's it. You're laughing. She couldn't ever see what what the funny side of that was. Um, likewise, she didn't get the Goon Show until she saw our stage production. Then she got it. She she said she realised oh, there was right. something that she it just clicked and she realised what it what it was. Um, about it that, that that drew people to it. Maybe um, she needed the visuals. Yes, well. yeah. One of the nicest compliments we were we were paid throughout the whole run, and it was uh, Dave, um, the producer, who was up in the sort of gallery, man, manning the lights and the playing in the sound effects. Um, this is on our second tour, and we we're at the uh, Bear Pit Theatre in Stratford, and this elderly gent came in, uh, who was basically telling anyone that would listen that it wouldn't be as anywhere near as good as the originals, that it would pale by comparison um, and that he'd been to the original recordings and he'd seen it all. And they, yeah, no. And he was just basically, you know, sat there with his arms folded waiting. And then mm. Dave said, by the end of the first show that we'd done, he was, he was up with the rest of them laughing and cheering and saying yeah they've got it they've got the energy they've got everything that the, the, the original shows had and I thought wow that's, that's great yeah that's quite some feedback um so yeah this guy come in ready to be a naysayer and, and went away completely satisfied I hope satisfied customer so yeah, nice that he uh, nice that he came along with an open mind <laughs> yes yes there is that I think I think with the goon show you 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 there is a I think there's a certain element that no it shouldn't it shouldn't be touched it should it should be left left alone but it's it's worked so well in Australia I mean um I think it's Brian Cutts has done wonders with the the guys up in the Blue Mountains um who did the live goon show I'm not sure if they're still doing it but they were doing it as a sort of cabaret evening performances and they, they were getting rave reviews for their their shows and I think yes people who had seen the originals in in the UK I think we had at least two people that came along and saw the shows who said, yeah, it's, it's, it's got what, what the original had in terms of the energy that, that was generated inside the theatre, you know, mm -hmm. which is, again, it's all you can hope for, isn't it? It is. Did, did, did any members of the families attend, like you know, Milligan family, uh, Seacombe oh. family? No, nobody, um, no, not even, um, I mean, the, the, the shows were given the green light by uh, Norma, Norma Farns, yeah. and uh, even she didn't come to see the, the shows uh, at all. Um, so we know we, did, we didn't have anyone. We had John, John Reps from the Goon Show Preservation Society, the ch Chairman John, he invaded our green room, um, our dressing room <laughs> at the interval <laughs> of right. the shows. And um, oh, he just appeared you know, through the door and uh, just, he was, I said, ah, it's Chairman John and this sort of, Chime went up um, for him, but he was saying how much he then enjoyed it and and how 
good it was that it was breathing life back into into the show and yeah. lots of people that came to see the show had never seen um sorry never heard the Goon show really before and we're, we're intrigued to see what a live performance would have been like and they, you know a few people came in completely new to it and went away completely converted um we had some nice comments in the you know visitors books and things like that some nice reviews along the way so it was yeah i, I think it would have been really really heartwarming to have seen somebody from from the family or somebody from one of the somebody connected to one of the shows originally yes. would would have been nice to have seen them and I, I and i think there would have been a danger we would have monopolized them for the entire evening afterwards <laughs> trying to dig for information oh, what was it like what was it like you know because we're all fans so i mean yeah that kind of thing so obviously you say about some people hadn't hadn't even really heard the goon show that came to see you mm -hmm. um what did you do with the scripts in terms of was there any tweaking any significant updating of the scripts to maybe get rid of some more topical references or did you were they preserved in amber pretty much i think from from what i remember norma had dictated that that not a word could be changed you know you had to stick rigidly to the to, to what was written on the script which is fair enough and mm -hmm. um so there's a mix in the scripts of what was written and um some elements of what went out on the broadcast version so i think they've tweaked the scripts ever ever very very slightly mm -hmm. yeah the only time we ever deviated from the script and i'm sure that nobody will mind us saying this was one particular night somebody had come to see the show who's a uh, uh, friend of mine photographer called Raimondo he um entered he arrived late and just brushed past all of the theater staff and barged in through the curtain right it was literally behind us on the stage and he just walked in everyone's looking at him and he, he looked to the right where we were all performing we just paused <laughs> mid-action and he said oh I'm ter terribly sorry and he went and sat down and with without missing a beat Phil, as our announcer, just turned around and said, it's just a stage he's going through, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Which is just, again, that's a perfect line. Yes. And it, I think Milligan would have been happy with that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was it was tremendous, tremendous fun. The the, the scripts, yeah, were, were pretty much sacrosanct and we stuck to the stuck to the letter of the law on that, really. Okay, and, so, and, and then later your friend Mark got involved. Yes, well, we'd, we'd done the first run. Um, so we had um, Birmingham, the, the old joint stock, and then uh, we moved over to Croydon. Uh, then it was a sort of a gap of a couple of years. And then Dave got the green light to do, based, I think based on the, the feedback we'd had, they realised or Norma realised that, you know, it actually was worth pursuing. So um, we got permission to do uh, a second run. And um, so we did the uh, the jet propel guided naffy which i was very happy with because yeah. i love that love that one mm -hmm. uh, and the house of teeth i think it was largely because it, it gave phil a chance to do something other than be the announcer be, be wallace um he could break out and, and be valentine dial oh, so he, yes. he, yep. he brought, brought a big fedora with him so he just that was his his sort of dressing of the set if you like you just put the fedora on and became valentine valentine dial which is great um <laughs> We, we then had a change of personnel. So Rob wasn't available, uh, Rob Coletta. So, uh, and neither was uh, Jim. So we had to find a new Seacom and a new Milligan. And my friend, Mark, he did audition and um, uh, got, got the part, which was brilliant. And um, 
the one he went after, which was Milligan. It would have been ironic if they'd <laughs> booted me out and given me, <laughs> given me, given me Wallace and switch marking for, <laughs> for sellers and fill in for Milligan or something. It would, you know, um, but anyway, they, I was very happy they, they kept me on as sellers and um, brought in uh, Stefan Besant, um, another really good actor who's significantly taller than, than Seacombe um, and a lighter voice. And although he didn't match Seacombe's tones, um, his energy um, and the way he performed the role just worked. I can't explain it. It's uh, some weird kind of alchemy, but it, it worked. And he was he had all of that kind of pent up energy that Seacombe had. It, it worked again. We all had a really good chemistry when we when we met and got rehearsing. So the second tour we we had uh, we we sold out uh, a few times at the, the the Mac in in Birmingham and they had the, the Bear Pit Theatre in uh, in Stratford. So an RSC stage, which is for any actor is is quite a good good gig to say you played a Royal Shakespeare Company stage. Meantime, over at the Bear Pit Theatre. Knocking at the door. Who's there, eh? Who's there, eh? I know, Min. I can hear the modern Min. Go away, person. Nick, knock, knocking at the door. Did you have any uh, stage door Johnnies like Minnie and Henry? queuing up for your autograph <laughs> at the end. <laughs> the very first run we did in, uh, we were in Croydon and somebody, somebody was out in the beer garden with, with Rob and was clearly very drunk, but he had been, he had been in to see the show. Now, whether he was drunk because he'd seen the show or um, <laughs> he was drunk before he'd gone in, I don't know, but he, he was, um, there, there was kind of, there was this obvious kind of conversation going on and the body language is unmistakable that Rob was desperately trying to get away but this guy wouldn't let him and and Phil said oh god oh no he's he's bringing him in he's bringing him into the pub <laughs> and this guy came over and and was absolutely you know he was starstruck by the four of us for some odd reason and I, so but rather than kind of try and get rid of him I I, I engaged in conversation which <laughs> I think they were all a little bit alarmed at us. Did you enjoy the show then? And he said, oh, did I enjoy the show? I'll show you how much I enjoyed the show. And he grabbed his shirt and ripped it open. Right. And we all went, okay. <laughs> and he just calmly kind of went about his business, went, oh, went okay. on another line. Um, I was imagining some <laughs> Alan Partridge deranged fan yes. with, a, with a full face <laughs> tattoo of the goons on his chest. Yeah, it was, it was, we were wondering whether that was what was about to happen, but it didn't. <laughs> but um, no, there was nobody really, uh, no, nobody really came sort of backstage or anything like that, apart from, apart from John Repsch, the chairman mm -hmm. of the society, which is, you know, I think he, he did a little speech to um, boost, try and boost um, membership for the Goon Show Preservation Society, which if you are listening and you are even remotely interested in the Goon Show, definitely worth joining. Absolutely. Um, I've yep. been a member since 1988, I think, and I've never looked back. Um, I'm very much poorer for it, um, paying my <laughs> subs every year, but no, it's, it's great. And, and um, a wealth of material that you can get in the newsletters and stuff. So it's worth um it was well supported and we we did get some some nice reviews that, that we the first uh matinee performance at the the mac in birmingham 
Phil went down as the announcer, Greenslade, and, and saying, ladies and gentlemen, welcome the goons, and, and introduced us all one by one. We were up at the top making our entrance kind of like they used to do on Game for a Laugh. If, I don't know if you remember Game I for do, a Laugh yes. on yeah, TV, yeah, yeah. where they used to jump down the, the staircase. Um, the very, very good Milligan sketch, I think, of spoofing that in There's a Lot of It About. And, uh, and he said, and there's Peter Sellers. And then this guy got up from the audience who'd realised he was in the wrong show. He'd gone to see Tosca, which is on in another, <laughs> another part of the, of the same venue. But, the, but his startling resemblance to Sellers, ordering glasses and everything, was extraordinary. So everyone was looking rather confused, including me. Um, this guy got up and sort of walked out, shaking his head. You know, it was, <laughs> it was a proper, proper mad, mad moments. You know, did you go, did you go really method? By the way, did you uh, did you eat a lot of cream cakes and bulk up to play? I don't know, nineteen fifty five era sellers. Uh, well, sort of. Yeah, I I did. I had a sort of um, I had a kind of nineteen fifties um, outfit I I put together. And and the second run, I got really ill in the first week, um, just just after rehearsals. I was I was really poorly with a really bad cold. So I was taking a night nurse um, by the bucketful um, mm. to try and just be on on the ball. But that was something Sellers did in in the seventies. He got he became addicted. I think from one of his biographies, I remember reading, he got addicted to night nurse. And I told this, related this tale to Robert, and he said, oh, God, you're not going method on us, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, um, I, 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 don't, I don't think I bolt up necessarily, but I, I bought some horn-rimmed sellers-style mm. glasses and, um, you know, kind of tried to... The, the weird thing about the, the doing the stage version of The Goon Show um, is that you do have a, a... Because The Goon Show works on three levels anyway already, so you now are sort of on four levels because you have a group of actors playing a group of actors playing a group of characters who in themselves are playing characters. Yes. It, it kind of rolls on like that. Um, yes. <laughs> I think around the time I think I mentioned to somebody that the nearest modern equivalent I can think of is probably um, The Simpsons in the sense that the, a lot of their historical episodes, well, mm. where they go off in these weird fantasy lands, it, it's again the same principle. It's, it's a group of actors playing a group of characters who then take on other other character roles within yeah within the story. like uh, simpsons bible stories and things like that yes i know yes. exactly what you mean i understand as well that it maybe a, a couple of years later mm -hmm. you actually um you appeared with um uh, television's spike dixon as as yes. milligan as milligan to his so jeffrey holland sorry yes uh, indeed as yeah. milligan to his sellers that's right yeah well it was the um, during our um, first run, uh, the Goon Show Preservation Society put on a, uh, an event at Ticehurst, at the, the Bell Inn, where Spike used to be a regular for, for, for a while when he, he lived in, in Ticehurst. And uh, so they had this sort of Spike connection. So they did this Spike Fest and had kids wandering around reading poetry, Spike Milligan poetry, and following a sort of Spike trail around the village. And um, we, we sort of mounted this production of um, The Rent Collectors um, stroke uh, Queen Anne's Reign. So, but, but because I wanted to play, you know, toe, toe the line slightly because of contractual reasons, I said I didn't really want to be involved as a performer in the first one we did because 
it would if word got back and and I was doing that you know it just muddies the waters slightly yeah so I thought I'll 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 create some sound effects and I'll go along and I'll help out and do bits and pieces so that was my sort of first involvement and then in 2018 they decided to um do a a centenary for spike um event at, at Tyshurst and they had his car the, um, um, the mini the famous oh, mini yeah. yep. uh, appeared outside the pub which drew a good crowd um so same similar sort of idea but this time we were we were in the big theater room above the pub and we were doing um this this uh, version of the goon show so it was uh, jeffrey holland um hired as sellers and i was brought in uh, as milligan and um uh, and also um uh, bernard um no oh, bernard miles bernard miles bernard miles bernard miles so um then they basically divvied up the Milligan, the majority of the Milligan roles were sort of divvied up to, amongst the rest of the Gunshow Preservation Society members because it would, would have been unfair, really, for, for, for them not to have been a part of something special like that. So it was really nice um, to have this little ensemble thing. So I was, you know, Eccles and um, uh, Minnie and just just little bits of Milligan and then, and then Bernard Miles. Mm. Um, so I was, spent a bit of time listening back and forth to the rent collectors and trying to get that Bernard Miles sound to to be landed with those kind of opportunities is always is is, is such a I, i'm very blessed to have been part of stuff like that and I, I saw um jeffrey holland and the rest of the guys doing goon again in 2001 i was oh, at yes. that, that um, recording of that and it was sort of crowning glory to my my goon mania at the time because i was you know i was busy tracking down any anyone associated with with the, <laughs> the goon show so i managed to meet you know the three three of the principals and other other members of the cast along the way so it was um so well you, hang on so you met you met uh milligan you met seekham and you, you're not going to tell me you met sellers i guess but you met benteen uh, no the closest i came to sellers was um uh i, I chatted on the telephone to uh, michael sellers on the day sadly that spike passed away oh, um right. and he told me um i was basically spike had passed away that morning um the breakfast program of the radio station I worked at had got Tom O'Connor on to talk about Spike because he was a local. Mm. Um, this is in Berkshire, and he was he was local to Berkshire, and, and because he was a comedian, I yeah. don't know. Anyway, I, I said to the um, presenter I worked with, I said, I think we can do better than that. So I tracked down um, uh, Michael's Michael Sellers' publisher um, mm. and uh, asked if she still had contact with him. And she said, well, I think he's working as a carpenter in. Um, in in oxford or doing mm. something with furniture I'll, I'll if if his number's still working i'll give him a call and then he he rang me and, and we had a really long really lovely chat and he he's uh, he said to me um that uh, he'd spoken to i think sean that morning sean milligan and and um and that his father's last words were going going goon which shocked me beyond belief because if that was if that's actually true um i've no reason to, to doubt the word of michael sellers um, but if that was true, I mean, it goes against every thing Spike ever sort of, you know, this love-hate relationship he seemed to have with the, mm. with the, yeah. the, the material in the show. Um, I kind of expected something more along the lines of Oscar Wilde's last words. Either that wallpaper goes or I do. Yes. You expect something like that. You don't expect something going, going goon. Okay. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's it's very strange, but that was the that was the conversation I had with, with Michael Sellers on that that sad oh. day, um, 
so yeah, that's the closest. And then I think I met Sarah Sellers a few years later at a showing of the optimists of nine elms at the bfi oh great film. Uh, mm. uh, which is one of my all-time favorite sellers movie well it's all, one of my all-time favorite films full stop yeah i managed to i suppose it'd be called stalking wouldn't it uh, the way i tracked, <laughs> tracked down all of these uh various members of the of the goon shows uh, the first one was was ben team uh-huh. um and that was in 1988 so the start of my my goon show um journey he he uh he was doing his one-man show in Scunthorpe. My dad drove me over to, to see it. Um, and then my dad was kind of hanging around. And Benteen did like two two hours or so. Then he did like a Q&A for half an hour. And then he was out signing his books in, in the foyer. I mean, he worked incredibly wow. hard. And he sat there in his, his sort of safari suit jacket and um, signing things. And because I was in, I still am, but I was an incredibly shy person which is one of the things that drew me to Benteen because he had that book the shy person's guide to life which radically mm. changed changed my life um so you know I'd always been incredibly grateful to him for that but I was hanging back because I didn't want to push forward um in this throng of people trying to get signed things and I had a bag full of things to get signed and um, one of them was a copy of the best of Benteen book and uh the LP to go with it and he uh, he looked at it and he said ah they finally released it, the the and he said the Ayatollah, and I thought what, and I, I just didn't get the gag, and um, I think it was reference to the to the bird on the front that he's holding in the, the puppet. Oh bird. yes, that vulture looking creature. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've I've no idea where that reference comes from, but there we go. Um, but he then took my book of the best of Benteen and opened it and smiled at me, and he wrote something in on the fly leaf and then very cl- carefully closed it very deliberately closed it and handed it back to me with this sort of expression of don't read this yet so i thought oh, this is very strange so i, I went then had to go and um, my dad drove us off back home and on the journey i just had to have a look and i opened the book and he'd written to richard thank you best wishes michael benteen and that's something oh. to treasure the fact that you know he thanked me for yeah uh, I, I was very taken with that um uh, 93 there was um a goon gathering at um the romney hive dim church steam railway down in sussex and it was seacombe milligan and benteen and the goon show preservation society had organized it and i was desperate to get along there and i lived up in hull there was i thought it was going to be impossible but then Sort of last minute, I managed to get a ticket sorted. Um, the lovely Tina Hammond at um, GSPS yeah. got me the room sorted. So I was staying at the same hotel as Tina and uh, Mike Coveney, and um, uh, who were kind of GSPS stalwarts. And I was having my breakfast the next morning and trying to figure out how I, how I was going to get from a hotel in Rye to New Romney without driving. I, I couldn't, I was trying to work it all out. And she came over to me and said, oh, um, Harry's not well, he's got the flu, so he, he won't be coming. I went, oh, and Benteen's not very well either, so he might not be coming. And I thought, oh, um, so we're going to get Spike, um, and there's room in the car if you'd like to come with us. Oh, wow. Uh, and I said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, yes, please. So I <laughs> shot back to my hotel room and grabbed all my, my bag of, of Milligan memorabilia, which I desperately wanted him to, to sign. And we got to his house, um, out at Winchelsea and uh, 
and there he was with sort of like an egg stain down his jumper uh, and, and a, an overcoat on and he was still wearing his slippers I can't I might have been Sile uh, or Laura was there and said oh daddy you're gonna put a coat on I've got my coat are you gonna put some some shoes on yeah oh, I, I, I'll put some shoes on and there was this kind of very domestic normality mm. going on and then Spike you know this this sort of comedy god got in the car and I was sat behind him and um, I was looking through all my things thinking oh great I'm gonna get this side and he said Oh, what, what? I hope there's not going to be people at this this station asking for my 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 autograph. Why do why do people want my <laughs> autograph on these tatty bits of paper? Why why do they always ask for these things? Yeah, I've often got people who ask for autographs to sometimes just want them because you're there. And this chap came to me and gave me a bit of crappy paper and said, Go have your autograph. So I said, Well, all right. I said, well, I said, what 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 are you gonna do with this bit of tatty paper? So I'll keep it, won't I? I said, no, you say, oh, yes, I will. I'll treasure this. <laughs> so I took his address. His name is Livingston, and he lived at number four, Lethwell Road, Deptford. <laughs> and two years later, I was going by at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I knocked on the door, and he came down. I said, oh, look. I said, never mind that. Never mind. I said, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> he hadn't got it needed to see that. Oh, well, that's that then. So I kind of put these things away discreetly. And threw, then he threw said, them out, threw them out the window down the motorway. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like Bill Maynard in the gaffer, kind of throwing things behind me. And then um, then he and I thought, oh, God, at least I got my camera. Get a, when, why, why do people always stop me and ask for my <laughs> photograph? Always asking for my photograph. It really annoys me. So why can't they just write to the BBC and ask for a photograph and make do with that? And I thought, oh, well, that's that's that. And then uh, we got to New Romney Station and Benteen was already there with his, his wife, Clementina, and they were, he was holding court and had all the goon fans around him. And uh, he was showing them this um, uh, newspaper cutting from, I think, 1948, 49, where, where he'd given, basically he'd given all the publicity he had from um, a show he was doing at the Palladium over to the goons. So it was a, a picture goer thing, I think, about what is a goon. And it was had all Alfred Marx and Sellers and Milligan and people like that in the in the article. Yeah. Um, and he was showing them. And, and so he was kind of, you know, displaying this and telling the story of, of how he was really the man that pushed the goon envelope forwards because he gave this publicity right. that he could have used for himself yeah. for everyone. But Milligan just went and sat on a bench and um, he just sat there sort of slumped down, looking very depressed. And uh, everyone, as I say, was gathered kind of around Benteen. So I went tentatively over and sat next to Spike and started chatting. And that was kind of it. It was weird. We just got chatting. And then we got into the carriage of one of the little narrow gauge railway trains. And um, inadvertently, I discovered... Only recently, I bought a book called um, Life on the Streets, which is a Michael Benteen book about a journalist. Yes. I inadvertently told a joke that Mike Benteen had written in that book in the mid-60s right. or something along those lines. So I tried to tell Spike a joke, which is because it had gone quiet in the carriage and my nerves got the better of me. And I just said to him, it's, it's very sad about the Titanic. He said, what? <laughs> I said, it's, it's very sad about the Titanic, all, the, all those people that, that lost their lives. What? 
and he's kind of looking at me this this curious expression and i said well you know it's, it's very sad but everyone goes on about it but but what about the iceberg <laughs> he said what i said what about the iceberg what happened to the iceberg did it did it end up in somebody's drink in a bar in chicago what, what became of the iceberg <laughs> and he just sort of shook his head and i kind of saw this wry grin coming across his and he said um you were worried about the iceberg and i said yes and he shouted across the carriage michael and benteen said yes and he said uh, this young man was worried about the iceberg. And Benteen shouted back, is the train going too fast for you? And it was just this mad goon repartee that was suddenly going on. Um, if, I, if I'd been in your position where Spike didn't want to sign any anything, and he didn't yes. want a photograph taken, I'm just trying to think what I would have said to kind of break the ice. No pun yeah, intended. It's, it's... I'd probably asked him for his inside leg measurement or something like that. Um, <laughs> Oh, we shouted all of that. Uh, <laughs> so, but Harry, so Harry was ill. So Harry wasn't there. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was just Milligan and, and Benteen. And then it was, it was sort of everyone kind of left. So it was just Tina, Mike and Spike, me. Um, we drove him back to his house and he got out of the car and he turned around at the, at the back door and said, I suppose you want to come in for a cup of tea then. <laughs> and, um, and, and I sort of looked and Tina sort of nodded tell him yes and I said oh yeah, yes please and he went oh um, I won't use the expletive but he yeah, used the yeah. f word yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and 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 then just slammed the door disappeared inside the house and <laughs> and Tina said that's an invitation so we 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 went in um and and he he basically was we sat as, as I recall on the what is called the goon bonquette which is in the museum of comedy in London um and it was uh, one of the fittings from the Grafton Arms when they were sort of refitting it. And Spike bought some of the bits and pieces and had it install installed in his house. Um, so we sat there and then we're talking about, we're talking about uh, South African wine, I think. So he had quite an extensive collection of yes. South African wine. Um, I then offered to go and help make a cup of tea. And he said, I can, I can make a cup of tea. What do you, why, why do I need help? And then... I think I excused myself and used the downstairs loo, which was a weird experience because it's it was stacked high with copies of Private Eye magazine. And on the wall next to the toilet was a, a one of those frame, big, thick frames that they used to have with a cigarette inside that used to say, in case of emergency, break glass. And inside one of this, this frame was a letter from Lynn Frederick um, saying that she'd... Um, yes. He'd, he'd written to her asking about some films he'd made with Sellers um, over the years. And she said in this letter, I'm sorry, but um, just before he died, he Peter destroyed everything to do with you, Spike. And that was the letter. And then he, he'd written underneath, there was this sort of caption that said, this was the heartfelt response from Lynn, Lynn Frederick, was it Nee, nee Frost, Nee Sellers? And he listed all the, yeah, all, the husbands. all the people she's been sort of <laughs> married to. Um, and it said, in case of diarrhoea, break glass. I'll never forget that. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah, then, I, um, I, yeah, I remember seeing Spike's house on an episode of. Do you remember, in fact, getting back to Frost. Do you remember through yes. the keyhole? Yes, yes, I do. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and it was Spike's Spike's house was featured in that. And I remember he had a quite a sizable wine cellar. <laughs> what I'd like to know is what is Mrs. Thatcher doing in the wine cellar? Yeah. Uh, getting pissed, I should say. <laughs> Uh, 
and a big house. Oh, it was huge, and the big um, swimming pool outside, which um, I think used to have the smoke coming from in the morning, the steam rising, and people mm-hmm. would be reporting fires at Spike's house, but it was just him in his heated pool. <laughs> but he, he is, is was weird, strange, strangest thing being in his in his um, lounge drinking tea. Um, him telling us about the antiques he had, like the gramophone record, the gramophone player that he still had, and um, the piano, and telling us about the history of the of the marsh, the way it was drained by the Romans, and pointing out you could see France from certain angles. And yeah. then he then he just said, "Right, I've got letters to write. Bugger off." <laughs> <laughs> I, I met him years later again. Um, he wouldn't have remembered me at, at all because he, he, I think he'd had his bypass surgery by then and wasn't quite the same energetic spike he'd always been. Yeah. But he was, um, and I think medication was was sort of leveling him out a little bit. And he was at a book signing for, I think, Wuthering Heights, um, according to Spike Milligan. And I went there and I took um, a, a fake arm, <laughs> which um, I'd got from. Halloween shop or something and um I wanted him to sign it and and Norma was absolutely horrified so no 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 we can't have that no 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 so that went back in the bag I got the book signed but he was so kind of on edge um and there was the slightest noise he he seemed to be flinching and then this lady was pushing a pram through the shop Waterstones I think it was in, in Leeds and the baby started crying and it got louder and louder and louder and then Spike kind of just it had enough clearly and he just stood up at the desk and shouted kill that child <laughs> and he, i mean he got a laugh but you know I, so so uh, how did you meet seekham um well again it goes back to the um the the first concert i ever went to was was uh um the the harry seekham live at st george's hall in bradford i booked a ticket to go and um went off to see this concert and it was him singing telling a few anecdotes. Um, there were some, uh, I think it was a marching band, Royal Marines band playing, uh, somebody playing a postman's horn. Um, it was it was very, it was, a, it was an interesting sort of music, serious music variety thing. And I suppose one sad thing actually this year, because it's it's Harry's centenary, yeah. Um, yeah. isn't it, in September. And um, it, it, the sad thing is that nobody seems to be taking his serious stuff seriously, if you see what I mean. I've not mm. really heard much about you know, there's not been like a centenary repressing of some of his best albums or anything like that. I think he was the first to record Nessun Dorma professionally, I believe. He was the oh. first person to record act, right. that, that particular tune long before Pavarotti. Hmm. Um, so there's there's none of that sort of thing. But so to have seen Harry Seeker at his best doing that, and I think a few years later I saw him in Pickwick as well, um, but he was doing just doing some really nice little bits of comedy and just being Harry. And it's great fun. And after the show, I went backstage um, hoping to get in and discovered to my horror that my, my dad and sister had already they'd beat me to it. And they, were, they were there with Harry um, <laughs> chattering away. And then he, then I walked in and he was like, oh, and, uh, fan. And, um, uh, and I had a copy of his, his script for last goon show of all. Mm. Um, which I can't remember how I got it, probably through the Goon Show Preservation Society. And um, uh, it was just a photostat copy, but he, he signed it. So I've got, got a copy of that and he signed my my VHS cover of um, The Last Goon Show of All and and had a brief chat. Really, I didn't really have time to ask him about anything uh, goonish. Um, it looks, it's, we, could, we could go on talking for hours. 
But just before we sort of wrap up, do you have a particular favorite? You, you mentioned The Optimists as pretty much your favorite Sellers film. Do you have a particular favorite yeah. Goon show? Yes, I I would have to say um, Lurgy Strikes Britain. Um, okay. I mean, to pick one, you know, but that that one seems to echo more and more. It was, it was one of the first I tried to put put together as a um, college production at one point. Never it never happened. Never came to. But I got a copy of the script, so it's it's. It's one I've listened to an, an awful lot, and I, I do love that one. Um, Quite topical as well, isn't it, at the moment? Yes. In many ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. So, so and, and what are your plans for the next few months in terms of 2022? What, what, what have you got planned? In a couple of weeks, if all is working to plan, I, I fly up to Tokyo for the um, to work with a friend on the Paralympics is, is the first thing. But um, when I get back, so in September... Um, we hopefully start rehearsals for the re- resource restart of our tour of um, the the Navy Lark, which is another classic BBC radio comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the longest running BBC radio comedy r- ran for 18 years. And um, that kind of um, we, we got started with that um, in 20, 2019 and um, stalled uh, in 2020. In fact, we came off stage uh, in the interval of our final show in Liverpool to find that, uh, that we heard the news that all the theatres had been closed in the West End. So that was a little bit right. disconcerting yeah. to go back on and, and do that. But we had a great, great fun doing that. So we're, we're returning to the tour of, of the Navy Lark and I'm, I'm playing Dennis Price in, uh, uh, in, in this particular one. So Wonderful uh, Dennis Price. Yeah, fantastic one my, actor. One of my favourite yeah. actors, British actors, yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been, it's been nice to reminisce about... Um, Meeting the, the the various members of the Goon team and 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 performing those amazing shows, you know, live on stage. Thanks again to Richard, uh, and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it today. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes. Give us lots of nice five star ratings and uh, and all that sort of stuff because it does. As I keep banging on about, it does uh, really help in terms of uh, promoting the podcast. Also, just to echo what Richard said earlier about the Goon Show Preservation Society. Uh, absolutely you know, please do follow them on twitter they're at the gsps they also have a uh, facebook group um, so please check them out i'll be back next time with a peter sellers focused episode thanks for listening and bye <laughs>